Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Well, we are uh, going through a series on the scriptures, okay? This is our guidebook for life. Aren't you glad the Lord just didn't lead us, uh, leave us here, you know, to kind of find our own way? But he gave us a very clear instructions. And we see that today in Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. And uh, particularly a couple of things that he says, uh, verse 37, you have no room for my words. Okay, that's one of the things he says. Verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about those two senses and more today. um, Because we are living in an age in which people feel the freedom to just change God's word and make it say whatever they want it to say. And that's, of course, what the Pharisees were doing. Okay? And Jesus said, you, you have no room for my words, the things that I'm actually saying. Why is my language not clear to you? Why are you trying to fog it up? You know, Jesus spoke simply. He spoke clearly. He spoke directly. Um, it, it's not confusing. Okay? And uh, it is uh, such a... Uh, really saddens my heart that uh, people try to um, reframe and redirect and, and uh, twist the words of our Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer as we prepare for this message today. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Uh, truly, it is uh, that uh, lamp unto our feet the light unto our way. Lord, we we could not make it on this earth, Lord, without uh, delving into your word and and, uh, meditating on it and memorizing it and living it, Lord. I pray today that this message would be clear, God. I pray today, Lord, that you would impress on each of our hearts, Pastor Denny included, Lord, all those who will be watching online, the importance of adhering to your word, the actual words that you spoke. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. The Bible says, Hebrews 1, verse 2, that he made the universe, including you and me. And the Bible also says, John 10, 10, that only by following Jesus can we live life to the full. Jesus is the key to true happiness. Today, that simple truth is being challenged like never before. Atheist Richard Dawkins lumps Christianity with all the other religions, calls it the root of all evil. In fact, 
Dawkins describes it as a virus on the software of humanity that must be expunged. Atheist Christopher Hitchens says religion poisons everything. Atheist Sam Harris claims science must destroy religion. 20 years ago, no one paid much attention to these guys. It's not true today. Dr. Al Mohler hits the nail on the head. He says the Christian church has long been understood by our culture as the guardian of what is right and righteous. But now the situation has been flipped. The culture generally identifies Christians as on the wrong side of morality. Those who hold the biblical teachings concerning human sexuality are now deposed from the moral high ground. The moral revolution is now so complete that those who will not join it are understood to be deficient and intolerant and harmful to society. It's stunning to see the scope of this reversal. In 1996, Billy Graham was hailed as a hero when he returned to the Twin Cities for his last crusade. 100,000 people gathered for that closing night. It was amazing. Over a 57-year span of time, Billy was one of the 10 most admired men in America. No one's ever had a stretch like that. At the same time, Billy was winding down, Promise Keepers was winding up. Remember that? Filling stadiums all across our country with men on fire for God. We brought 1.1 million men to the Stand in the Gap rally at Washington, D.C. It was amazing. Today, 26 years later, the Christian church has gone from being heroes to haters, from truth tellers to bigots. Since COVID in March 2020, it feels like someone unlocked the gates of hell and unleashed a horde of demons such as the world has never seen. And yet, folks, get this. I believe with all my heart that this will be the finest hour for the Christian church, the true church of Jesus Christ that holds firmly to the scriptures Never forget that Jesus solemnly promised us. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what he said. Today we're called to trumpet the good news in this book. Compared to what the world has to offer, it's not only good news, it's great news. And it's all rooted in the historical narrative, a story that you can trace all throughout the scripture. John chapter 8, Jesus points to the most revered figure in all of Jewish history. He points to Abraham. And once again, he accepts a scriptural account at face value. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a legend. Rather, the true account of Abraham anchors the biblical worldview in a historical narrative a true story that's 100% accurate and truthful. Now, as you follow the depiction of Abraham in John chapter 8, you will see four pillars of our faith that shine forth the goodness of God. It all begins with a special people. 
In verse 37, Jesus says this to the leading Jews of his day. He said, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. No room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, he's clearly referring here to Satan as their father. You can only have two fathers. God isn't your father. The other guy is your father. The Jewish people who trace their ancestry to Abraham, they're one of history's great enigmas. Now, an enigma is defined as a person or thing that is mysterious, puzzling, difficult to understand. You see, here's what God promised Abraham in Genesis 12. He said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all of the peoples will be blessed through you, Abraham. Isaiah 43, 20, God calls the Jews my chosen. Zechariah 2, verse 8, God promises the Jews, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. You can see that today. Any nation that lays a finger on Israel, they're clobbered. (laughs) They're clobbered. You can just see, you can trace that since Israel has become a nation. When I was a little boy, my mom taught me to love Israel. So every project I did in school, when we were told to choose a nation, I chose Israel. My mom warned me, she says, don't ever say anything bad about the Jews because they're God's chosen. Of course, we didn't know any Jews. Wasn't many of them made it up to Motley, <laughs> 100 miles north of here. At our church, our little evangelical free church, we had a succession of preachers and speakers who taught about Israel and about the Jewish people. Dr. Arnold T. Olson, our president of our denomination, Evangelical Free Church of America, he came to our church, I remember this, shortly after the Six-Day War. He was practically walking on air. He was there. He had to leave right before the war because they were getting all the Americans out of there. And now... He was talking and he was so excited about the Jews were just pouring into Israel, just as the Bible said. And they were now talking about rebuilding their beloved temple, just as the Bible says. These childhood experiences led to a lifelong fascination with the nation of Israel. So I spent a month there when I was in college. Uh, I've led five tours there. And I believe there is nowhere on earth as fascinating as Israel. So when COVID is gone for good, we hope to plan another trip. One of my favorite places is the Qumran Caves, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, 981 manuscripts, thousands of fragments found in 12 caves. This was actually the first cave where they found the scrolls, a little Bedouin boy threw a rock up there and heard it hit something. (laughs) Crawled up there and found some ancient scrolls. And they found 
from 1946 to 1956, 981 scrolls dating back to 200 B.C., 40% direct copies of the Old Testament. The rest shed, there are other Jewish writings that shed light on Scripture. Now, whenever we stop at Qumran, we also learn about the Essenes. The Essenes were a group of scribes who descended from the priestly class in Jerusalem. And there at Qumran, only a mile from the Dead Sea, they spent the bulk of their lives merely copying the scriptures. For many of them, that's all they did, day in and day out. You see, the Bible says, Romans chapter 3, what advantage is there in being a Jew? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. God shows the Jews one-fifth of one percent of the world's population. That's what they are. God shows the Jews to write the Bible. The author of every book in the Bible is a Jew, possible exception of Luke. The God shows the Jews to copy the Bible. God shows the Jews to guard the Bible. God shows the Jews to preserve the Bible. And many of them did at the expense of their own lives. Now here were the rules for copying. I'm going to read these because, you see... <laughs> This is why we can have confidence that the Bible you hold in your hand is the authentic word of God. This is why. Because of these rigid rules they had for copying. Number one, only parchments from clean animals were allowed. Number two, each column could have no fewer than 48 and no more than 60 lines. Number three, each line had 30 letters. Number four, the ink must be black. Number five, no word must be written from memory. They couldn't say, oh, I know that verse, start writing it. Number six, there was a space of one hair between each consonant and a one consonant between each word. Each, number seven, each scribe must take a bath before copying. <laughs> they wanted their full attention, okay? Number eight, each scribe must be in full Jewish dress before copying. See, they wanted their full attention. Don't just casually do this. Number nine, the word Yahweh, the name for God, must be written with a newly dipped brush. Number ten, the scribe was to take notice of no one, not even a king, while he was writing the name Yahweh. That's the sacredness with which, and, and the seriousness with which they took uh, copying the scriptures. Heartland family, you know what that means for us? It means you can have absolute confidence. The Bible you hold in your hands is the authentic word of God. You can thank the Jewish people for that because they wrote it, they copied it, they guarded it, and they preserved it. Praise God. Thank a Jew if you know one. And yet, here's the enigma, folks. The enigma is in spite of all these advantages and knowing God, by and large, the Jews missed it. It's a mystery. Now, there was a faithful remnant when Jesus was born. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, Joseph and Mary, there were certainly others. But overall, their numbers were likely well under 10% of all the Jews. Most of the Jews just plain missed what God was doing, which is why they rejected and then ultimately crucified Christ. 
In verse 39, Jesus tells the Jews, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing things that your father does. Their father was Satan. Okay? You can only have one father. Now let's move now to the second pillar of our faith. We started with a special people. We go to a special provision. Notice verse 42. What Jesus says to the very ones who are determined to kill him. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. But I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? That is a profound question that we should ask today. I'd love to ask a lot of my fellow pastors that. Why is the language of Christ not clear to you? Okay? And then Jesus answers his own question. He says, because you are unable to hear what I say, you belong to your father, the devil. That's what Jesus says. Now think about it. The Jewish people were entrusted with the very words of God. And they have role model after role model who faithfully follow the Lord. Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Samuel and David. And we can go on and on. And yet they intentionally and deliberately fogged up the simplicity of God's word by adding to, subtracting from, and changing the meaning of the scriptures that they had faithfully copied and preserved. Shocking, isn't it? <clears throat> Just about every person who has ever gone with us to Israel will at some time come up to me and say, Pastor Denny, how did the Jews miss it? And yet what I want you to see today is that the very same thing is happening today. When the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, a wave of fury was unleashed in our country that bordered on bloodlust. And you know, I would see these protests and I would ask myself, is not 60 million enough? Is not the blood of 60 million kids enough. Why do they have to have more? In Portland, they had a night of rage led to 10 arrests. A pro-abortion group called Jane's Revenge has carried out a series of firebombings against pro-life organizations. At a Chicago Pride march, Mayor Lightfoot led chants of vulgarities using the F word against justice Clarence Thomas, here in Minnesota, and this breaks my heart, here's our governor raising his fist as he marches in the pride parade. Heartbreaking. And I want to say to him, why is my language not clear to you? Sadly, the governor, the lieutenant governor of the state of Minnesota they have made abortion rights. Have you seen the commercials? 
against uh, Scott Jensen, you know, trying to defend the babies, and they are just going after him. They have made abortion rights, they have made killing babies the centerpiece of their reelection campaign. I want to say to my fellow pastors, if you're not willing to stand up and say something, what, what are you here for? You know? It breaks my heart. I wish it weren't so. May God have mercy over our beloved state. Is 60 million not enough? How can we shake our fists at our Creator? This heartbreaking, folks. I don't say it was anger. I say this with a broken heart. Matthew 19.4, Jesus said to the Jews, haven't you read at the beginning, God made them male and female. God made them. He made a human being, Mr. Waltz. He made a human being. And that human being is sacred in the eyes of God. Haven't you heard at the beginning God made them male and female? What are you guys doing? State of Minnesota attacking all of these schools trying to protect our children and insisting that boys, biological boys can be in girls' bathrooms and shower rooms and all this stuff. This is, a, this is an abomination to God. breaks my heart to say this. And yet, this is the centerpiece of his campaign, folks. Jesus said, haven't you read at the beginning, God made them male and female. We're to rejoice in that. Jesus said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus is crystal clear here. Why is my language not clear to you? Life is a sacred gift from our creator. It is sacred in the eyes of God. It should be sacred to us. It is not for us to take life. Our gender is sacred in the eyes of God. He made you male and he made you female. That is not our place to tinker with that. Why is my language not clear to you? Marriage is between one man and one woman. Why, Jesus says, state of Minnesota, why is my language not clear to you? Sex is for marriage alone. It's not something we just do for recreation, just shack up with whoever you want to shack up with. Why is my language not clear to you? In John chapter 8, these same Jewish leaders, they're the leaders of Israel. They're attacking Jesus. And he pulls no punches in describing them. Verse 43, Jesus tells them, you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. 
Two chapters later, Jesus shares with these Jewish leaders once again. And he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Only weeks later, he would do exactly that. He laid down his life. He shed his blood for the very crowds who were mocking him and laughing at him. The same people who cried out, crucify him. You know what Jesus' response was? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He offered mercy. He offers mercy today. You know what I would love to see better than defeating Tim Waltz? I would love to see him change his position. It's happened. Donald Trump changed his position. He was strong, pro-abortion. He changed to pro-life. Norm Coleman, mayor of St. Paul, I heard him speak down at the pro-life rally. He changed his position for pro-abortion. I I would love to see that. Praise God. Father, forgive them. He offered mercy. He offers mercy today. In fact, without his mercy, none of us could be saved. But because of a special provision offered freely and voluntarily by Jesus himself, we can inherit eternal life. What a joy that is. Now let's move to the third pillar of our faith, which is a special plan. As John chapter 8 continues, the Jewish leaders, they descend into this downward spiral, and it keeps going deeper and deeper. Verse 48, again in verse 52, they accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. In verse 53, they basically accuse him of being a liar and a lunatic. Why couldn't they see God's master plan as revealed to Abraham in the early chapters of Genesis? Abraham saw the special plan of God. Why couldn't they? In verse 56, Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. Did Abraham see the Messiah? Did he, in his mind's eye, did he see the Messiah being sacrificed? I think so because of what happened here in Genesis 22. You know, when I was a little boy, one of my favorite Bible stories was when Abraham took his son to make a sacrifice on Gen- in uh, Genesis 22. And amazingly, God told Abraham to go into Mount Moriah. Many Bible scholars believe this is the exact location where Jesus was crucified Mount Calvary, uh, Golgotha, exact location where Jesus was crucified nearly 2,000 years later. That's an amazing thing. As father and son, Abraham and Isaac, they climbed the mountain that morning so long ago. Isaac is puzzled. There's no animals they brought along. 
So he asks his dad about this, and Abraham calmly replies. He says, the Lord will provide. Or would he? Isaac had to be shocked. His dad lays him on the altar, proceeds to bind his arms and legs as if he himself were the sacrificial lamb. And by the time his dad raised his knife over his body, Isaac's heart had to be racing. Could this be it? Could his young life be over? And then at the last minute, a voice calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That day God gave Abraham a preview of the master plan. First of all, as he raised his knife, Abraham's given a glimpse of the intensity of the father's love in sparing not his only son. Secondly, when God provided the ram to sacrifice instead of Isaac, Abraham's shown a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus made in dying as a substitute for our sin. The Bible says Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Genesis 22, Abraham saw a preview of that. And then thirdly, when Isaac leaped back into the arms of his father's embrace, this beautifully and powerfully foreshadows the resurrection of the Son of God and his return to the embrace of our Heavenly Father. Abraham saw it all in living color. And immediately he discerned that God was up to something really big. And that's why Genesis twenty-two fourteen says, So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Everyone understood something special happened there on Mount Moriah. It was a preview of the special plan that would one day unfold and change the world by allowing human beings to be reconciled to their creator. Praise God. Now this brings us to the fourth pillar of our faith, which is a special power. By the end of John 8, the Jewish leaders were in a tizzy. <laughs> they were ready to kill Jesus right there and then. The statement that put them over the edge is found in verse 58 when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Making that statement, Jesus was declaring himself to be God in the flesh. I was there, guys. He's saying, I was there. There was no doubt Jesus was doing that. Back in Exodus 3.14, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he describes himself like this, I am who I am. Jesus was declaring his preexistence along with his heavenly Father. It was this statement that tipped the scales for C.S. Lewis when he wrote Mere Christianity. Lewis pointed out Jesus unequivocally declares himself to be God in the flesh, which means 
He's either a liar, that is, he knows he's not God, but makes, but's making the claim anyway, or he's a lunatic, he thinks he's God, but he's really not, or, in fact, he is the Lord of the universe. C.S. Lewis also pointed out that the claim that Jesus was a great moral teacher, you'll hear people say that in the university and so forth, well, Jesus, he was a great man. He was a great moral teacher. And Lewis says, that claim is flat out crazy. If someone claims to be God, that's a big deal. They either are or aren't. You know? There's no middle ground there. Pastor Denny gets, you know, on my high horse, and I say, you know, I'm not only your pastor, but I'm God. <laughs> Okay, now uh, you either are or you aren't, right? And uh, if you spend a couple hours with me, you'll be, um, you will be uh, very convinced. No, no, he's not God. <laughs> now this was also the decisive argument that sealed the deal for Josh McDowell. As he explains in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And more recently, this was also the central claim that led a skeptical journalist named Lee Strobel to put his faith in Christ. His book, The Case for Faith, for uh, The Case for Christ, was later made into this excellent movie. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. It has touched countless uh, thousands. You see, folks, only a God who possesses a special power can call a special people and offer a special provision all according to a special plan that unfolds over 4,000 years of time. That God is the Christian God who called upon his son to leave the glory of the eternal kingdom. We'll see someday what he left. And he came to our earth to be born in a smelly cattle stall. And he was raised in humble, lower-class conditions. Never lived in a mansion. Only to be hounded by critics for three long years. We see a bit of that here in John chapter 8. Before they nailed him to a Roman cross as a blood sacrifice that had the power to wash away the sin of anyone who placed their faith in him. Today I ask you, have you placed your faith in him? Have you accepted him as your savior from sin? Have you made him the Lord of your life? I close with this. You know, we live today in a world that has lost its fear of God. George Clooney, he speaks for many when he says, I don't believe in heaven and hell. You know, folks, that doesn't lower the temperature in hell one degree, whether George Clooney says that or not. We don't make reality by our claims. He says, I don't know if I believe in God. All I know is that as an individual, I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. 
Over the last couple of months, our staff at Heartland has been reading The Coming Tsunami by Jim Dennison. Actually, the elders, we finished that up, we're starting another one, but uh, the elders are leading the com- reading The Coming Tsunami right now. Highly recommend it. Dennison maintains that Bible-believing Christians are facing a tsunami brought on by four cultural earthquakes. The post-truth culture, the sexual revolution, critical theory, and the rise of secular religion. George Clooney may not call his worldview a religion, but that's what it is. He's seeking to make sense of life without God. A secular religion that is aimed solely at our life right now on planet Earth. It intends to remove and replace any religion that endangers its vision for the future. For this reason, Christians are now viewed as dangerous to our society. Atheist Richard Dawkins claims we must be expunged. Friends, we have to prepare for the battle ahead. Over the next few years, the biblical worldview will increasingly be pushed to the main, pushed away from the mainstream of our society where we once lived, to the margins of society where we will be labeled as radicals and extremists and haters and bigots. And yet, folks, it is no time to back down. A.W. Tozer says this, a frightened world needs a fearless church. I believe that God will honor our boldness and our courage as believers. Here's the good news, which is great news. I am convinced this, these coming years will be the finest hours for God's people. I'm convinced it will be the most exciting time to ever be alive on planet Earth because if we indeed are in the end times, and I believe we are, then the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 14, they take on new meaning because Jesus said this in the midst of the end times, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. In Acts 2.17, the Bible says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both young and old, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Folks, we're heading for exciting days. I believe that. In which we will see God moving as he never has before. Folks, are you all in with Jesus? Are you ready to make your stand with him? Will you be a part of our finest hours?